Welcome to Right Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. Welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen, Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor, Kara Swanson. Does that name sound familiar to you? If it doesn't, it will in just a few moments. I can't wait to tell you why in just a few moments. As always, I want to thank you for your support of my newest release, A Chance for Genevieve. It's available at Amazon exclusively. So go ahead and pick up your copy today. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years, and as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net, click on the pink follow button, and you'll never, ever have to miss a show. And so... Without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest co-host and contributor today, Kara Swanson. Kara, how are you doing today? Hey, Parker. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with me today. As I always say to every guest we have on the show, I don't take it lightly. So thank you so much for being here. And there's so much to tell our listeners. I don't know where to start at, but there's so much to tell them. But before I do that, I always want to peel back the veil of who you are as a person. And for our listeners out there, I have seen Kara's name floating around on Facebook for some time. Like I know of her through osmosis. And now we have a chance to sit down, look at each other, and talk to each other and get to know one another. And at the end of this episode, you're going to be running to Amazon to see what all the fuss is about. I guarantee it. So, Kara, go ahead. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Thank you, Parker. Well, my name is Kara Swanson. As she said, I actually recently got married in June. So, in a non-professional sense, my full name is Kara Swanson Matsumoto now. But I go by Kara Swanson as my author name. Let's see. I have been writing since I was a wee bib, since I was a young teen. And I actually was first published at 17 and then later again at 21. The first book that I published is one that we do not speak of. It was what we like to call the first novel that allowed one to dip one's toe, and now one does not even let it register on Amazon anymore because one learns a lot when one is 17. But it was an amazing opportunity to grow and learn, and I have always been a pretty tenacious kid. And so I just jumped in with both feet, kind of figured things out as I went, and then jumped forward a couple years. Once I'd had that initial project published through a small press, I started trying to find ways to grow in my craft. As a young person, I started working, I think at one point I was working like eight part-time jobs in the industry just to try and figure out how to afford edits, how to get to writers' conferences, like learning everything I could. And so I hustled my way through just a lot of different areas of just learning and growth, uh, attended writers' conferences, 
all kinds of different things. Ended up releasing a indie published novella myself when I was 21, which was a really amazing opportunity for me to learn a lot of behind the scenes of marketing, writing, publishing, just being able to understand that whole process. I also was diagnosed with a chronic illness around that same time. And so part of the reason why I did the novella myself was because I realized that I didn't have some of the energy levels that I would have wanted to do something more like college. And so I realized, okay, I need to teach myself how to publish. I need to teach myself these skills. There isn't necessarily even a college degree for this. So how can I learn what I need to know? And so I was able to learn a lot through the indie publishing process, through working in kind of any capacity in the publishing industry that I could, and eventually was able to sign with an agent and ended up signing a multi-book deal with Enclave Publishing a couple of years later and have a Peter Pan retelling duology full-length novels that the first one came out in 2020. The second one came out in 2021. They're doing quite well by the absolute grace of God. And I actually just signed another two-book deal with Enclave for another duology because I can't stop writing duologies. And yeah, that is kind of a general overview of my experience. Oh, another interesting piece about me and some of why I've been writing some of the genres that I have is that I was actually the daughter of missionaries. I spent 16 years overseas in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, an island above Australia, as the daughter of missionaries. And so growing up in an environment like that and then coming back to the U.S. when I was a teen, there was a lot that I could relate with in fantasy projects that had this element of just a very fish-out-of-water character. And so when I started developing a Peter Pan novel, I realized, oh, I can do this. Like, I know how to write a character who has grown up in an island and has all these different experiences and all this unique adventures that other people may not be able to relate to. And so I've been able to bring a lot of just the perspective of growing up in a different environment with a different culture and learning from all of those different perspectives, being able to take that and weave a lot of it into my fiction writing. I think authors who have a lot of experience can really help a reader to connect better with the character. And I think this is important because one of the critiques of modern storytelling is that people are simply trying to retell the same stories over and over again using the same elements of switching them up in the story. Whereas in your story that we're going to talk about today, book one of duology for the Peter Pan retelling, Peter, obviously, is a fish out of water. And there's a certain scenes in there where he's trying to do what he used to do and can't. And he's not in the place where he's comfortable. And he wants to get back there. But there's a lot of things going on with the book that we can't tell you because there will be like major spoilers. And all of my listeners know I am spoiler sensitive. I do not like to be spoiled. Actually, Carol, when I went into your book, I didn't even read the blurb. I didn't see anything. I just wanted to read it blind. And those are the best ways to kind of get involved into the story because you don't know what's going on remotely. <laughs> I didn't even know it was a Peter Pan retelling until I started looking at it. Oh, okay. So this is Peter Pan. So that's how I go into it. Now you mentioned about the fact that you had a chronic illness. And I know when people are ill, sometimes that does delay the writing process. But I think just you saying that even though you have this chronic illness, the Lord can still use you to tell stories. How much is that a part of your background and helping other authors? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's actually been tremendously influential and it has, I am a better writer and I was able to be significantly more strategic in my approach because of having a chronic illness because I had to be. So because of having an illness where I had really tremendous fatigue, especially in those kind of those early years when I would have been potentially doing something like college, I did not have the energy a lot of times to even go for like a 20 minute walk. 
my body was just too, it was just shutting down on me. And so I started to realize, okay, if I have goals, I have to be really strategic because I only have so much energy. I only have so much mental energy in a day. So how am I going to utilize that? You know, what is the best way for me to really strategize how to approach something? And so it has made me extremely aware of my own processes. Like I know my own writing process really well at this point because I've had to really learn it. And I know what I'm capable of doing. I know how to set up a launch far enough in advance that if I don't have as much time, I'm able to work through some of those things. It really pushed me to make sure that I was utilizing every opportunity I was given, that I was making the most of every writer's conference, every interaction with someone, every edit letter that I received. And so it just, I think having a chronic illness pushed me to be extremely intentional. And that has been a hallmark of my career that has really served me well. It's not always the easiest way to go about something, but it, I think, has been really helpful. And it, it has been a big part of why I've been able to then turn around and teach other young writers because of seeing, okay, there are ways to do this. There are ways to be strategic and intentional. And even if your life circumstance, even if you have a chronic illness, even if you know there are other things that are making this difficult, it is still manageable. And if anything, your experience, your pain, the things that you are fighting through, those are all story fodder and they give you a voice and they give you a perspective and they give you almost like a rawness that not every writer has. And I think is something that is hard won, but incredibly important when it comes to writing. And to me, when someone has actually experienced or, you know, gone through some of the battles they're writing about in a project, you can tell, and it just brings that story to life and it connects you to it so much more deeply. And so one of the passions is being able to be strategic learning how to navigate and balance those things, and also then turning around and being able to encourage and support others in doing that and learning to learning to give grace to yourself, but also learning that it's okay that there are seasons and that not everything needs to come easily all at once, but that there is value and there is beauty in needing to take your time on things and needing to be intentional. Well, the Lord created the cosmos and said, well, the earth in seven days. So he took his time too. And that brings me to the next question I want to ask you, because you say you help other authors and you have a business that you run. Tell us a little bit about it. Thank you. Yeah. So I, about five years ago, wow, has it been that long? Maybe four. So I've been involved in, in various different businesses, working with young writers. I've done a lot of coaching. I've been published for years and years now and had just really seen a need for young people that it kind of started where I did that were tenacious, that had things to say, stories to tell, but didn't really have a clear idea of how to get from point A to point B, especially young writers who potentially have a chronic illness or just life that makes it more difficult. And so I started out by launching a coaching program with Brett Harris, who is the author of Do Hard Things, which was a book that came out probably 10 years ago now that he wrote when he was a teen. But he has just since then for years now has had this passion of equipping young writers to be able to use their words in mighty ways. And we're very similar in that way. And so what started out as a high-level coaching program for young writers, quickly we realized, oh, not only do these young writers need hands-on feedback, but there are specific ways to reach these goals. Like there are strategies. And my experience and my journey is living proof of that. And so we ended up building a college alternative program called the Author Conservatory. That is a three-year program. And we teach simultaneously writing skills and how to publish, how to prepare to be published, how to have a story that is publication worthy, all of those skills while we also simultaneously teach entrepreneurship. Because it is really difficult, as I'm sure you know, to make any money off of your books. Um, royalties can be much more tricky than they seem. And so what we found is that the skills that you learn as an author to market yourself 
also apply to really anything else that you do. And if we can teach entrepreneurship, we can actually help these young people have sustainable careers in the long term. And so we ended up creating a, yeah, launching a, a school essentially that is all online. It's accessible to anyone. We have students all over the world. And it is a three-year program where we basically teach them how to not only write great stories, but also live them, how to pace themselves, how to strategize, how to reach an audience, and then how to market themselves and their writing and also a pop-up business that they build. So essentially, we created a program that kind of encapsulates what I learned through my journey and really what I would have wanted and what I would have looked for and what would have been the best fit for me. And we've just found that there are so many young writers who are in either a similar place, not necessarily chronic illness-wise. But just, you know, they have the drive, they have the perspective, but they don't know how to reach these goals. And the other thing that I think is unique about the conservatory is that it's extremely coaching focused. We maintain kind of that purpose as we built it out. And so students receive probably the equivalent, I would say, of 10 rounds of developmental edits on their project because they come every single week to a call with trained editors and, you know, best-selling authors, award-winning authors. And we just teach them everything and they get feedback and they get community and they are able to just grow in tremendous ways. So that's what I get to do as my day job. And I love it. I get to work with students and teach and just see them grow and encourage them and support them and all of those kinds of things. So I've been able to take my experience and the aspects and the seasons of life that were points really discouraging and the necessity that having an illness meant needing to be strategic and intentional and then taking those strategies and actually helping apply them to other young people to watch them succeed significantly even more so than I have. Like the things these young people are doing is incredible. And it's just, it's an honor to, truly to be able to get to work with them. Now for our dear listeners here, she's saying these young people as if she isn't one of them. So I just want to let you guys know she's very fresh faced, bright eyed and bushy tailed. I know she said she gets tired due to her chronic illness, but if you can see what I see, she's just, a, she's 17. I know she's telling us that she's older than 17, but she looks 17. Gangs. <laughs> so I'm just letting you guys know. I love that you use this difficult time in your life that others would have used as a barrier to not be a writer, to not fulfill that dream. And instead of using it as a barrier, you use it as a jumping off part to not only do your own writing, but to help others. And we're going to have you back to go more in depth into the author's conservatory. So I can't wait. And I know our listeners would probably be interested too. I can't wait to have that show with you and Brett if he doesn't mind, to come on board with us as well. So I'm looking forward to that. And now I know there's some really good news to share with our listeners here. Now, we're going to be getting into the first book of this duology called Heirs of Neverland. The first book we're going to be talking about is Dust, but something really great happened with the second book in this duology. Tell them all about it. So, yeah, I feel like I can't share about this without sharing like my actual reaction to it. You have to share your reaction. You have to. So Dust specifically finaled for the Christie Awards last year, which the Christie's, for those who maybe aren't aware, really basically is kind of like the Oscars for the Christian publishing world. Like it's kind of a big deal. And Dust finaled. And to me, out of the two books, Dust felt like the most, like to me, that felt like the, the one that the Christie's would be drawn to. Shadow is a lot darker, a lot grittier. There's just aspects of it that I was like, mm, this might be a little bit much. Like We'll see. And Shadow, honestly hold from a lot of very genuine raw places for me. And I think that to be just completely honest, I was insecure about it. I wasn't sure that people were going to connect. I honestly didn't know if they were going to like it, if they were going to understand what I was trying to do with it. I have been a lot more uncertain of shadow than I was of dust, which is fascinating. 
because then Shadow finaled this year for the Christie, and I was like, that is amazing. It's finaled. There's no way ever that it's going to win. And like, I literally had, there was no chance in my mind. I was like, there's so many other books. Like this one, it just feels so raw. It feels like it's almost like to me, like, I don't know. And so I had a friend over and she had also, she writes historical fiction and she had finaled five times. She had never won. And we both were like, you know what? We're just going to like, we're going to sip a little bit of wine. We're going to watch the awards from a distance. We're going to like cheer for all of our friends. And we're just going to like lose together and be happy about it and just enjoy our dinner. And so we sit down and we are live streaming it. And my category was up first, which last year, I believe that YA was toward the end. So I was not ready at all. And I'm like, oh, wait, it's me. And so they announced the books and then they read the first line. And it's my first line. And I was like, no way. No way. I literally looked at my husband. and I was like, that must be someone else's line. They must have written the same thing. There's no way. I was an absolute shock. And he's like, you won. And I was like, I what? And so, yes, I was pretty shocked. And I think not only was it just amazing and surreal and just the most massive honor, but it also really felt like a confirmation from the Lord of like, calm down, Kara. Like this thing that came straight from your heart that felt raw, that felt a little bit like, I don't know, it just, it was so me. I was like, "Mm, I don't feel like this is as polished, you know, like this doesn't feel as easy, right? But I think that it really was just this, this moment of the Lord specifically being like, okay, calm down. Like, this was good. This was important. You put it out there. You put out your heart. And it's maybe not as hard for other people to see your heart as sometimes you think it is. And I just, it challenged my own security in a really interesting way. And it just was this huge encouragement of like, you've got this. And I think, as Parker said, I'm I'm on the younger side. And it's easy for me to kind of look around and see all these giants, right, that I have spent a lot of time admiring and just have done these amazing things and be like, but this book and my heart and my experience and, you know, like my raw emotions, who's going to actually connect with that? And it has been just an absolute encouragement and humbling, hugely humbling to be like, no, these words that he's given me, they do have purpose. And and this book that I did not think was going to maybe connect, that felt very personal, right? And very specific to me, realizing like, no, this is something that is more universal. And there are those that relate and those that connect. And there's just something really beautiful about that. And so I think that not only was it an honor to win the award, but it definitely felt like a moment for me specifically of like just this reminder that we're not alone. You know, that the things that maybe we are nervous about sharing, the things that are harder to put on the page, those sometimes are actually the most important. And those are the ones that connect more broadly than we could even imagine. One of the things that is significant about this Christie Award is that it was trending on Twitter. And our listeners need to understand the significance of that. It is. I mean, the Christian fiction world is very small comparatively. And there tends to be a very specific perception of what kinds of books are Christian fiction. And some of that is warranted. And, you know, there's a variety and everyone tends to come to Christian fiction needing something different. And one of the things that I find really interesting about this space is that I write in a more like mainstream market kind of way. My books in no way are extremely explicit in some of the themes. I don't have any like come to Jesus moment, anything like that. But being a Jesus follower myself and having a very personal relationship with the Lord and being someone who, especially with having grown up the way that I did and just traveling so much and having a chronic illness for a decade, like the Lord is my comforter. And that is a very, very real thing to me. And so something that I found really interesting and what is significant about this is that my books and specifically my publisher, Enclave, is a publisher that focuses specifically on like fantasy and sci-fi projects. So they don't do contemporary. They do mainly just what we would call speculative fiction. So anything with kind of a fantasy, sci-fi, magical element to it. 
but they do it from a Christian worldview. However, the books can range from more explicit, like let's actually talk, you know, dig into the Bible itself, to projects like mine that are not as explicit. And there is beauty and there is value. And each of those books are sometimes written for different people even. And so what I think is amazing is that what Enclave is doing as saying like, hey, people of faith, like we're real people. And there are a variety of ways to communicate something. And there are different ways to do that. And there is value to doing it however you feel like you are led to. And being able to actually have that be something that means enough and is catching enough attention and that people are feeling comfortable to come back to it and be like, oh, there is variety here. Oh, there is a diversity of perspective and opinion. What it means is that we are kind of starting to cross that border, I think, in some ways. And we are starting to bring in people who aren't looking at Christian fiction and thinking like, oh, this is preachy or, oh, this is super cheesy, right? There are some that might feel that way, but they're able to look and go like, oh, no, this is something that comes from a place of belief and faith. And these are projects that can tackle so many different themes and yet come to them from a place of hope and a place of knowing that in the end, there is some sense of good and it will win. And there is sacrifice and there is redemption. And when that is the perspective and kind of the place that you approach writing or storytelling from, it really does transcend Yeah, it transcends audiences and it transcends people. So I think what's impressive about it trending is just that it shows that we've reached past kind of where we were before and people are beginning to see like, oh, there's value here in a way that maybe goes beyond just stereotypes. One thing too is that Enclave is becoming a competitor with some of the bigger gatekeepers of Christian fiction like Tyndale, Thomas Nelson, some of the other big names. And it shows you that other Christian readers are also looking for different things to read. And especially now, speculative fiction is now part of a bigger fandom than it used to be. I like how Enclave is positioning itself to let people know that this ain't your mama's, it's not just Lord of the Rings either. It's a diverse selection of Christian fiction meant to reach people it needs to reach. Because I believe Steve Lobb, who is head of Enclave, I believe he has a particular mission in mind to let people know that Christian fiction and Christ, well, Christ in general is king of all. And in our fiction, we can do it in so many different ways. We don't have to have just almost fiction because for a long time, that was Christian fiction. I'm excited to see this change in Christian fiction that more people are open to more things. But you do get your critics. That's something that you have to be mindful of because there are some people who are with the old guard of doing things. And so we talked a lot about the behind the scenes of your book, Dust. Now we have to talk about it. So go ahead, tell us about this book. So Dust is always kind of hard to categorize in terms of like what it actually is, because it's both a retelling and a sequel. One of the interesting things when I said about writing a Peter Pan retelling, well, first off, my first thought was this is insane. <laughs> like everyone loves Peter Pan. Everyone has their distinctive version of Peter in their own heads. And it's so nostalgic. Like, how on earth do you even approach that space in a way that people are going to connect with, right? And so one of the very first things that I did is I put aside every single version of Peter Pan other than the original novel out of my head. I was like, okay, I need to find some place to start. So I started with the original Jan Barry book. And what I really wanted to do was I wanted to keep Peter as Peter as he could be. Because a lot of other versions of the story that I've seen, he's the villain or, you know, hooks the main character or they adjust things, which is fine. But to me, A, I'd already seen a lot of those stories. I didn't want to write another one. And B, I had always loved Peter. And I had always wanted a book that almost built off of him. Someone recently kind of compared Dust to something like Wicked, which I actually think is really cool. I was trying to think about it as I was reading it. And that's a really good analogy. 
It is. Yeah. So it takes a story that's already beloved and it actually adds unique nuances to it. It develops it more. And Dust is interesting too because of the sequel. So it takes place after the original book. It references the original book. It takes place in a contemporary world where the book exists. And the one of the main characters is Peter. The other main character is a girl named Claire. She's an original character. It starts out with her living in California because that's where I live and I could. And Claire is unique in that essentially she is part pixie. And so she has this unique pixie dust, but she doesn't know that that's what it is. She thinks she has some kind of a skin condition. And she's terrified of herself because her pixie dust has some dangerous qualities as well. And essentially kind of the core of the premise is that Peter ends up losing Neverland. We're not quite sure why. He ends up trapped in London. He has no way to get home. He's being hunted by the people that he used to trust. And so the only person who has enough pixie dust to get him home is Claire. But Claire has a twin brother named Connor who's missing. Connor is her entire world. She loves him. She cares about him. She believes he was kidnapped by Peter Pan. So Claire hates Peter with every fiber of her little blonde being. And so when she meets Peter, she realizes, oh, shoot, I can't actually, like, convince her. And so all of these shenanigans ensues. And it's told from a couple different unreliable narrators, essentially. There's a lot of twists. There's a big cliffhanger, so you might want to get both books. But yeah, there's just a lot of different interesting nuances. And so I was able to take the original story, build off of it. I was able to basically ask, what would happen if Peter had to actually grow? Not grow up completely, but what if he was forced to grow and actually take responsibility for some of his own behavior, some of the things that have happened? And how could we actually see him change as a character while still feeling like the original Peter, while still having that playfulness and the sarcasm and just everything that we love about him? And so I was able to really, I think, maintain a lot of the qualities that make him such a beloved character while also letting him actually grow. But growth is important. And that, to me, with Peter Pan has always been the problem. And there are benefits to growing up that we don't have as children. As he's growing up, he's dealing with thoughts that he doesn't usually have to deal with. And I thought about that. I said, you know, when you get older, you're able to see the world differently. As a child, it's not just a big adventure. Lots of things are happening to Peter. One thing I liked about his character as we continue to develop him was that by making him closer to the never boy, it reflects us because we're still children on the inside. Oh, I just love that you described him as the never boy. My brain's like, novella. You can take it. I just want a copy of it when you finish. But I say never boy because he's not quite a man, but he's not quite a boy either. So he's like the never boy. Claire's character represents dealing with something, dealing with pain, dealing with even dark thoughts. And I'm glad you did not shy away from that at all. And she's dealing with real pain, like her brother is missing. She was responsible for someone that she was close to getting hurt herself. So I'm glad that you introduced these elements to Claire because she's the perfect foil to Peter. He wants to not take responsibility. That's all she's had to do is take responsibility. And in the beginning of the book, you have a quote that says, by C.S. Lewis, one day you'll be old enough to believe in fairy tales again. And I thought how apt that epigraph was for this whole book. So what are your next projects? Yeah, it's so funny. My publisher was like, if you tell anybody what the title is of your next book, I will hunt you down. <laughs> okay, so don't tell us. <laughs> I'll tell you the title, obviously. So I signed for another two-book series. I really enjoy duologies, and I think that I tend to have ideas that feel a little bit more uh, concise, I guess. And so I could stretch it out to a trilogy or I could keep tight. And so I do like having the two books. So this one is a fantasy series. It's not a retelling, although there are shades of like Sleeping Beauty in there. 
And the most that I can say is that it is centered around phoenixes. The main character is a phoenix girl. And it essentially takes place on a planet that is used to be tropical and volcanic, but the planet itself is covered in an ice age because their sun is dying and the sun is connected to the world building with the phoenixes. And so the main character is born into a world that is basically covered in ice because of her people, but she doesn't understand why or how it works. And it has a very strong mental health angle, very similar to Dust in, in the sense of it being a strong mental health angle, but a, a different one that I'm tackling. But this one specifically deals a lot with kind of a family dynamic and the idea of the idea of sacrifice, really. That is kind of the core of this. It's the idea of what is sacrifice? What is healthy sacrifice? Is there such a thing as unhealthy sacrifice? And what do we actually owe to the people around us? And what do we specifically owe to those who maybe are actually not healthy people themselves? Like, do we owe to stay in an unhealthy or a, even an abusive situation in order to try and sacrifice for that person? Or what does sacrificial love truly mean? And so there's just a lot of those kinds of themes that I'm able to dig into, especially with the context of it being a story centered around phoenixes. So it has a lot of the same, I would say, interesting and whimsical elements that Dust and Shadow have with the fantasy pieces that Shadow specifically leaned into, um, but set in a world that is completely my own and with a lot of uh, really interesting plot twists and just a lot of interesting character development. And with Phoenixes, the thing is they die and to rise up in the ashes, you know, so that'd be interesting. It's almost like the butterfly with the chrysalis. So lots of uh, things going on there. I can't wait to check that out. We'll be talking to you in uh, 2023, later on in 2023 about that book when you're finished with it. Book one comes out in 2024, but toward the end of 2023. I need to give myself more time, girl. I just got married. Yeah, really, enjoy your marriage, really. I assure you, (laughs) that's more important. But no, I'm looking forward to that because I like the idea of using fantasy elements to talk about bigger topics without beating you over the head with it. And so I like stuff like that. And things like, like that that make me think I'm very much intrigued by So you can tell that there's going to be more coming from Kara Swanson. So I'm very excited to be part of the journey. And as she gets them out, we'll have her on the show. And I can't wait to know more about it. Now, Kara, in the few moments we have left, this show is always about encouraging authors whom God has given the gift to write, to pick up the pen and do so. And so in a few moments we have left to go ahead and encourage our authors out there today. My goodness, there's so much to say. I think my biggest encouragement to you out there would just be to not give up, but also not compare yourself. It's easy to look around and be like, that person's doing it faster, or they're doing it better, or it's easier for them, or they have been given everything, right? Everybody's journey is going to look different. That's okay. And it has to be okay. Because if we all look the same, we would tell the exact same story, and it would be redundant. And so it is okay for you to need to take your own time. It is okay for you to need to take time to grow as a person. We have to live a good life to tell a good story. So do not shy away from living a good life. Do not shy away from taking good care of yourself and your heart as you are doing this, as you're writing, because the best stories are the ones that feel more intimate, that feel more personal, but those also can be the hardest. And so being willing to go to those places in your stories, but also being willing to give yourself the space that you need to process that and to do so in a healthy way and knowing that whatever the timeline of that looks like is okay. You know, God is opening the doors for you. He's paving the way for you. He's moving ahead of you in ways you cannot even see. And he is going to give you the exact right things in the right time. And being willing to just sit in the slowness of that sometimes is really important. And learning how to sit in the slowness of it while still pushing through and building that endurance, those are skills that are going to provide for you and be important for the rest of your career. So don't rush it. 
but also learn how to dig your heels in and just keep going even when it's hard. I can't think of a better way to end our show today, Kara. I have enjoyed talking to you today, really getting to know you, getting to know your story. So glad to share in your accomplishments. And I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Awesome. Thank you so much, Parker. Have a great rest of your day. And we were talking today to Kara Swanson. She is the author of the book, Dust which is book one of the Heirs of Neverland duology. Shadow, the second book in the series, won the Christie Award in the young adult category, which is a really big deal. And it lets us know that people are reading your stories. If you're a Christian author or author who is Christian, people are reading your stories. One thing that she said in her encouragement is that you can't look at other people and assume that you're going to be like that person. Everyone else's journey to this thing is different. It's going to look different. If we all had the same journey, we'd all tell the same story and it'd be redundant. And who wants to keep looking at that? I want to encourage you out there. If God has given you the gift to write, what are you doing with it? Go ahead, pick up the pen and write stuff. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the queen, Parker J, and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. <laughs>